everybody. Welcome to the Sour Mash Podcast. And if you didn't recognize, that was a brand new intro. We Loving that. We had it on the last one, but we didn't talk about it. So I hope you guys love that. We, uh, cool. we went We're through hip. all of the... Uh, um, all the like public, in, domain. public domain yeah. sites to see like which ones we could use, and that's what we settled on. We didn't want to do generic like uh, guitar riff number six <laughs> from GarageBand's Apple Loops, um, so we found a real song yeah. that we don't have to pay for. Just wasn't doing it for which us, which is nice. So today is a special podcast. It's yeah. our it's a flat it's a, a watershed podcast. It's our first guest Woo-hoo. that we're having. Absolutely. Um, but before we get going, we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves. Yeah, let's quickly. do that. So yeah, we're the Sour Mash Tours team. So this is Dylan. Danielle. And I'm Andy. And Andy, you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah, so we have uh, our good friend Forrest Price on the on the line here. And Forrest has been in the whiskey game for a really long time. More recently, he was the whiskey advisor at Jack Rose in Washington, D.C., which I've never been lucky enough to go, but it's certainly one of the more well-known and by all accounts, one of the best whiskey bars, not just in the U.S., but in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Forrest can give us some, some color around that. Uh, we'll be drinking today, the same thing as Forrest. Forrest is in uh, Portland, Oregon, the Joseph A. Magnus uh, straight bourbon whiskey, which is uh, Forrest will tell us all about, but it is a uh, bourbon whiskey from MGP that was finished in two types of sherry casks and then a cognac cask. Yeah, so without further yeah. ado, Forrest, introduce yourself, man. Oh, well, uh, hello, thank you for uh, having me on and thanks for you know, the, the, the kind words, very kind words. Uh, so, um, but yeah, so yeah, I worked at uh, Jack Rose, which um, at the time that I was there, um, we usually hovered right around 2,700 different bottles of whiskey. Um, and um, I uh, didn't start as a whiskey advisor, um, but became that within a year or so of working there. And I was there for about three years. Um, and so I was whiskey advisor for, uh, you know, the better part of my time there, I would say. Um, tell them and, what it takes to be a whiskey advisor. Uh, honestly, uh, exposure, just because, uh, so one of the things I guess that I am very much the beneficiary of is whiskey not being as organized as the beer and wine industries. Um, so you know how like, there's um, sommeliers for uh, wine, which uh, Vanessa is one. Um, she's a level four up in Manhattan. And then um, Vanessa is my sister. Uh, Vanessa is my older sister. I said Vanessa, Dylan had several classes with Vanessa, my sister. So I was kind of more, yeah, just talking. She, she um, got us so through like philosophy 310 we do back have, when we were sophomores. We have a couple dozen <laughs> yeah. listeners that we need to make sure are plugged <laughs> in. So Dylan and Forrest lived together yep. in college way back before the Jack Rose days. And uh, Danielle yeah. hung out over there quite a bit as yep. well, right? Yep. I was a little bit older. Totally. The infamous Alta house. Alta. <laughs> oh, yeah. Alta with the big red door and that swing that was awesome on the front. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was good times. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, and then Cicerone for beer, um, but whiskey doesn't really have that. So you kind of more just have to, I guess, be vouched for. And um, if it wasn't for, you know, just getting a job at Jack Rose in the first place, I um, wouldn't have been able to do it. One, because one, there's just not very many places that could employ a whiskey advisor. You just don't have that many whiskeys at most places you know there's no there's not necessarily a need for one um 
And, uh, but um, I would say it definitely just takes a lot of tasting and reading. And I spent hours with those bottles. I would say like a big part of my learning would have been uh, because so when I, before I worked in, the reason I even got a job there was because I moved to DC for grad school. Um, I was doing global business and trade at American. And I actually think I saw Dylan shortly after I had moved there. Yep, I was um, on a uh, work trip and we went and had a couple of drinks. Yeah. And uh, you were living I in actually, somebody's like basement or something at the yeah. time, I think. Somebody important. Yes. I, I was, yes. <laughs> she runs like an internet. <laughs> right? No, I've actually met him once at a whiskey thing, but nice. no, not him. Yeah, that guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, she was a, uh, she runs like an international. Um, children's adoption agency or something for like kids that have uh, that for like that are orphans particularly I guess obviously the well not obviously but usually um, and um, so that's what I was looking but anyway um, so I was when started at Jack Rose that was the only job I had that uh, in DC um, and the reason I even worked there was because I had an unpaid internship that was full time to go along with my grad school at American and. Uh, Jack Rose was, um, it's also an honorable, Michelin honorable mention restaurant and they've won best beer program in Washington, DC, and they've won multiple, uh, cocktail active accolades, especially the Draymond Green basement, uh, bar they have there. Right, and did you say Draymond Green restaurant? Do you like Dray- that? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Dram and Grain. It's the oh, name okay. of this, uh. Yeah, it's the name of this bar in the basement that they did. Um, most people say speakeasy, but it's not really a speakeasy. Um, and it's just a place where, you know, the cocktails are fantastic and the bartenders are some of the best in the country. Uh, and I actually used to live with one of them uh, in DC. Her name is uh, Morgan Kirshner. And then uh, one of the guys who's actually, he left there to be the, he's now the national brand ambassador for Wild Turkey. His name's Benny Hurwitz. Um, and then there's this other guy, uh, Andy Bixby, who's right now a finalist for most imaginative uh, bartender. Oh wow! Um, so, so this was so just it's like a, a very... consortium of brilliant the, liquor minds. The, uh, yeah, the owner Bill Thomas um, and Steve King, um, their um, their kind of a vision for the place is to have it be a mecca of spirits, um, I guess. Um, and because they're also about to open a place around the corner that's basically like Jack Rose, but all other spirits like gins and vodkas and things. Um, and then so that's all going to be there. And then at Jack Rose, it's going to be about um, you know cocktails and whiskey. Um, and so they want it to kind of just be like the, the mecca, if you will, of you know you know knowledgeable alcohol. I've got to go to no. D.C. sometime soon and check some of those out. I know, I was just out. thinking that. We've never been to D.C. Andy and I haven't. You should. And it's a great restaurant town. That's what we look for. A great bar town. That's what we look for. It's so it's very it. different than most people think it's going to be, too. It's uh, It has a bad rap around the country for, you know, good reason, I guess. But that's mostly also just because people don't... Uh, when people do go there, they usually also don't leave the areas that the politicians don't really leave, either. So mm. you kind of need to get out a little bit and into the the city that's up in the hills of it because dc is pretty hilly and most people don't even know it um and up around there there's just yeah it's it's a great it's a great city it's one of my favorite places so i want to take it back a little bit further than your time at jack rose one of the reasons that you were even interested in going there right is because you're telling me that your your mom 
has one of the largest whiskey collections in the state. Is that fair? Um, maybe. I don't know if that's fair or not because I sound like I've actually compared. <laughs> you haven't compared her to all the other whiskey probably, collections in the state. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's yeah, going to fact check this podcast, say. so you can say whatever you want. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> she has like 500 or so um, bottles in her basement, I would say. And um, she's just been collecting for a while. Um, basically, like, it's, it's not uniform, but she's always tried to, um, or at least one point um, in her life, tried to always buy every other week, buy two of the same bottle, um, one to have and one to keep. So that way she just you know, knew what everything was. And then she also was just building her collection. Um, and uh, that was, um, you know, what she did for a while. And she slowly built that up over, you know, years and years. And uh, I was, you know, the beneficiary of just learning a lot, just sitting around with, with her sometimes. And, um, and she's the one who knew about Jack Rose. And I knew that um, since I had an unpaid internship and I had full-time grad school, I needed a bar where I could actually, you know, make enough money to afford living in D.C., but also be flexible. So obviously it had to be at night and it was probably going to be a bar. And um, I basically hounded the GM with emails until they offered me a dishwasher spot. And then the uh, um, within two weeks or so, um, the executive chef and GM were like, you could probably be, you know, a server here. And so then food ran for two weeks or so um, before they started to let me serve. And then I serve and food ran kind of filled in until there was, you know, like full space for me to just start serving all the time. And then I'd say a little after I'd been there a year or so, um, I was actually about to leave and get a day walking job because um, my program at American was over and things. And um, that's when they offered me the whiskey advisor position. Hold um, on a second, hold and, on a second day walking the only only reference i know to that is blade <laughs> so he's <laughs> a vampire that could walk in the uh, day is or, that what you're uh, telling south us park. or the south park the, yeah not, not quite yeah, a t-shirt I, <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's war i don't know if that's universal bar slang or just dc bar slang or what <laughs> but that's basically in dc at least what we called nine to fivers we call them Ooh. day walkers ah, okay. look at that okay. So you're it's not, probably yeah. just because none of us have worked in a bar, and so we don't know. We've that. always been day walkers. Yeah, Norm, we're normies. We are, we are, yeah, normies. <laughs> yeah, especially in a city like DC, it's like it's either like you fall into the bar industry, when there's like people that have like master's degrees that are like bartending there, and that's probably why it has such a you know, high level bar scene. Just people are just you know always experimenting and stuff. Um, and then there's just other people that are just like super into it. I don't know, but anyway, um, DC's. Uh, Unless we're trying to thought, where are we going? So you were you were going to get a, to you were going to become a day walker. Yeah. You were you were leaving <laughs> oh, the bar yeah. life, and you were going to be a day walker, and then right. And they um, offered me a uh, to stay on as a whiskey advisor, and um, I hadn't even considered that because I didn't even know that they were considering me for it. Um, and they actually made me take a test because um, I guess they wanted to be sure. So actually, it was probably took me longer than. The SAT, honestly, it was a, uh, it was a hundred and twenty questions, and most of them were uh, multi-part, um, and I had to get a seventy to pass. I actually got a sixty-nine and a half, but they said that was close enough. They rounded, they rounded up. up. Nice. They rounded up, and so, then so that's when, and at that point, that there was um, Brittany Roverson was the whiskey advisor, and this guy Chris Lou Young uh, were the whiskey advisor. And uh, Brittany was more like kind of like a whiskey manager, whiskey advisor, but Chris was the full-time whiskey advisor and he was the, I guess you say like the main one. Um, and then 
I was going to be the third one. So that way between the three of us, they'd always have at least, you know, a couple people that could be wherever anytime they were open to help out with the whiskey. Um, Cause you know, there was just a backlog of people having to wait a while to talk to, you know, a whiskey expert. And, um, and so I was going to be the third one. And between the three of us, we, um, we did the inventory, um, which, you know, besides, which wasn't just, you know, the 3,000 or almost 3,000 individual bottles on the wall, but the thousands upon thousands of bottles in storage as well. Uh, and so that's a big reason I got so familiar is just because I got to touch all the bottles. And I've learned a long time ago that I'm a very visual learner, um, and I learn well with my hands. Um, so um, I think that went a really long way to me uh, being able to be a whiskey advisor as well is because I just got so familiar with, um, I guess, labels and distillery styles that literally I just felt like if I, I don't know, had a bottle in my hand, I could, even if I didn't know what it tasted like, I hadn't had it, I could more or less have an idea of what so, it should taste like. So with like all of these different brands that are coming out now or all of the, like, something that's easy so so like jim beam talking about the the small batch collection when you have like knob creek and bakers and bookers most people don't realize that's from jim beam so right with your, with your experience you can basically look at a bottle on the shelf and kind of determine where it might come from oh totally because they do all sorts of misleading things um like um, you know, um, one thing Heaven Hill likes to do is they'll say, um, instead of distilled by Heaven Hill, they'll say distilled at Bernheim, um, you know, um, and that's, you know, the same thing, but, you know, they just, they just won't register with people because they don't know, you know, um, it's just kind of like most people don't know that, you know, MGP has made, you know, so much rye that most people drink and they think it's you know coming from Dickel in Tennessee or um Templeton. you know High West or Templeton or you know and the list goes on and on with MGP so I mean, yeah we just Agnes, yeah we just um, posted a blog post about uh what is the NBC News yeah he talked about it on the last podcast too yeah. NBC News did like this I don't know if you saw it I'll send it to you like they framed it as like an expose almost they're like did you know that whiskey is not always made where it says it is on the front of the label. Breaking yeah. news at 11. Yeah, this is literally the worst kept secret in the industry. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. uh, they call it, they called MGP shady and said that it, it <laughs> was... What? Yeah. yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they had like this big fat cat from MGP on there and they was, framed him to be like a villain. It was villain. much more dramatic than, you know, it is in real life. It was like the, it's even fully the title accepted. of the story was very, yeah. Yeah, it was like one step above having like the person that has like the blacked out face and their <laughs> voices disguised. Like, I've worked there for 30 years. I can tell you what we make. Like, it was that ridiculous. So, Forrest. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I want to hear more about kind of your, your day-to-day um, as a whiskey advisor. So, if, say, Danielle and I come in and we maybe don't know much about what we're looking for, what kind of questions would you ask somebody in order to make a recommendation? Um, well, you know, some of it would be, te- um, you know, figure out what you're there for. Like, um, are you looking to have a flight? Are you wanting to just, uh, you know, have a, you know, an old fashioned and you want particular 
whiskey is recommended for that? Are you wanting to just have uh, pairings with um, your food? I would say that was probably the least common, but it was asked for. Um, a lot of people would switch from whiskey and then wine with dinner and then whiskey again. Um, and then, um, or just have a flight, you know, throughout the whole thing. I'd say that was probably what the people I dealt with most often would be doing flights uh, usually. Um, and I would ask them, you know, if they didn't know anything, I would, you know, I could ask them, what sort of spirits do you like? What sort of wines do you like? Um, are you looking for something right now in particular in the sense of do you want something that's going to be um, peppery and spicy or do you want it to be sweet or do you want it to be both or do you want it to be kind of um, briny or do you want it to be smoky or do you want it to be fruity? A combination of those. Do you want it to be salty? Um, and just kind of, you know, frame it in a way that I felt like, you know, would be good because you know after in front of a table i feel like you can get a pretty good um because usually don't launch right into it usually there's some sort of banter back and forth because the jack rose everyone's up usually in a pretty good mood to be there and um you learn a little bit about them before you even launch into it sometimes about the whiskey and um so i don't know and then from from there, you just kind of narrow it down. You figure out how intricate they want to get. You figure out if they're looking for something that they want to find in a store or something that they can only get a Jack Rose. Are they looking for um, something that is only, you know, say available in Kentucky? I've definitely built a lot of Kentucky-only flights. Um, are they looking for old whiskey that's extinct? Are they looking for um, something to compare, like uh, different barrel finishes? Or are they looking for single malt styles, like Japanese versus American versus Scotch? Are they looking for um, just an international world tour to see how different styles are done? Um, I mean, Jack Rose, the, the, the questions of how you want to build it go on and on and on. Um, and so usually I would start with, I guess, um, flavors usually, just general flavors, like I said earlier, like fruity, salty, um, things like that. And then I would go into, okay, are you wanting to figure, stay within a certain style or do you want to um, play around a little bit? Um, and that's when they would say, you know, I want to stick with all bourbon or, um, you know, I don't like scotch because it's only smoky. And that's when I would actually come in sometimes and be like, actually, a lot of it is not. And I would say most of our scotch that we would have with Jack Rose is not uh, smoky. And, um, and a lot of times that would Sometimes you'll be more interested to having like one scotch with two bourbons. Like that would be somewhat common, I would say as well. Interesting. Um, yeah. And, so what, um, what? So could you explain like for because for me like scotch is always like there's something off about the taste. It's kind of like off putting for me. <laughs> I always always say it tastes like Windex for some reason. Windex. I don't know. That's just what I, I like get. Scotch. That's I, so I've never well, it's really. It's funny that yet. you say Windex. I've actually had. Um, you're making me think of this guy. At, um, he's a the most regular person at Jack Rose probably. His name's Harvey Fry. A lot of people think he works there, but he doesn't. Um, he's probably <laughs> just the largest. He is maybe the largest whiskey collector in the states. Who knows further? Because he has thousands of bottles at his house like that thousands upon thousands and um he um on a couple occasions gave me a whiskey and be like taste this and i taste it and he'd be like you know what that is and i was like it's, it's like soap and he'd be like yeah that's definitely soap and then he'd laugh <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, so you're not totally off. Some of them do taste like Windex, but you probably would just had so, a disservice. Hold on, to be clear, <laughs> this guy wasn't like giving you soap in your in the whiskey, right? He, it was a whiskey that no, tasted no, it, like it soap. was real. No, <laughs> I thought he was, was like playing a trick on you. No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that was just him saying it's soap in the flavor. He definitely gotcha. was giving, it was definitely 100% cast strength single malt <laughs> scotch because he doesn't drink anything else. If he does, it's probably cast strength Willet. That's that's all he drinks that's is cash drink. That's he he doesn't drink anything else. Um, well, are, there, are there enough to get like drinks, thousands of IPAs? IPAs and cash strength. Yeah, he likes it strong. Wow, it, are there enough cash strength whiskeys to have a thousand something collection, oh, or he just collects oh, things just to? Collect oh, them? our whiskey, uh, our whiskey collection at Jack Rose, I would say, it was over half cash strength. Easy. Wow. Has have cask strength scotch, or are you combining everything with bourbon and? That's everything together. I would say scotch. Scotch was probably majority cask strength too. Okay. Uh, over fifty percent cask strength as well. Um, because I'd say the majority of our independent bottlings, which are or independent bottler, non-distilling producer, they're terms that are used, you know, interchangeably. Um, there, there's a lot of those companies. They're called Blackadder, uh, Creative Whiskey Company. Um, Duncan Taylor, uh, McCallops, um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. There's there's tons of them, and they go to all the distilleries around Scotland. And there's some like the Jewish Whiskey Company does this thing called the Single Cast Nation, um, and they go to distilleries all over the world, and they buy casts that they like for whatever reason. Um, and then you know a lot of times they'll you know they'll take it to their property somewhere, um, and or leave it there, um, depending on the, you know, the situation a lot of the times. And they'll <clears throat> um, decide when it's ready themselves and then release it under their own name. And they're not re legally required to put the distillery they sourced it from on there. Um, and so like a lot of the distilleries, I would say most of them do say, um, but so say for um, the Creative Whiskey Company, they have this line of whiskeys called Exclusive Malts. And on the front, uh, of their whiskeys. I actually have one I could go show you the label if y'all want to see at some point. Um, it'll say, like the one I have says Glen Talker's Distillery, uh, which is this Speyside Scotch. And it says it on my bottle, uh, Glen Talker's Distillery. But another release they do that's a single um, barrel cast strength whiskey could just say distilled at a Speyside or an Isla Distillery. And they'll just tell you the region it's from, so you can kind of have an idea of the style at least. Well, that's uh, not that's not too different than in the U.S. with bourbon labels, and they'll all say, you know, oh. this, like this Magnus says, distilled in Indiana. So it, it they have to tell you totally. what state it was distilled in, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's also why, like, I think it's funny that they were did the expose on it because it's like if you know how to read the label, they're they're not lying to you at all. You just got to know the you know the legal terms. So, yeah. Uh, so, after Jack Rose, you're not in DC anymore. Now you're in Portland, kind of, kind of doing the whiskey hustle, as I as I would put it. Um, yeah, yeah, kind so, of. So you, you moved out there to work at a different restaurant. Um, decided Ooh. it wasn't for you. And kind of. That's more or less what happened. Okay, <laughs> we don't have to talk anymore yeah. about that. Um, <laughs> oh no 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 no! It's not bad. It's just more. I actually moved out to Salem to help my friend uh, Zach that I've known. He's still my roommate. You might have seen him at some point. I don't know. Um, he um, 
was tapped by a VC firm out of San Francisco to be their master grower uh, for a startup pot company nice. here in Oregon. Nice. And um, he, That's him, his cousin, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> his, uh, his cousin was running an urban farm in Memphis. Um, and so he asked the two of us if we would be willing to come out, you know, and take a chance on this company and get it going. And they actually gave me, you know, like a bonus for moving out and everything. And so it felt legitimate and great. Um, but then weird stuff started happening. Like, I'll keep it short, but like they did one thing, like they bought a 3000 square foot pole barn for us to construct and be able to, you know, you know, grow things in and do, you know, build side rooms to maybe do experiments in or something. And they just wouldn't let us build it. And they would have us do arbitrary tasks that did nothing for the long-term, um, you know, benefit of the company, they being the president and CEO. And so at one point, Zach and then Lisa, who was another one of my roommates, and she was the CFO, they just, because they were on the executive board, they confronted the president and CEO about it. And instead of, you know, giving an answer, they just fired them. And so that was a big red flag. And then so Tyler ended up quitting, I ended up quitting. And then um, long story short, we found out about a month ago that we made the right decision because Zach got a call from an investigator and they're officially on the run from the FBI in Oregon what? State. For yeah. So, so like straight up on the lamb now? Yeah, they're like straight up running. That's what we were told, like an investigator called and said that you know was asking questions and stuff so our instincts were right on leaving and so for a second time i fell back into whiskey <laughs> the much safer of the so, city yeah <laughs> is there a chance this podcast is gonna yeah. like get subpoenaed because you just told us that story we're gonna have to go uh <laughs> yeah it should i mean i mean it's totally you know legal that, out there it's legal it's legal it's yeah. literally legal from mexico to canada on the West Coast. Think about that. California, Oregon, and Washington. It's all you can, anyone can walk in 21 and older from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m., buy some bud, buy some flour. It's no problem. Buy some cookies, eat it, whatever. You know, it's it's fine. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think you have to worry about like these. Hey, okay, if we get some sort of knock on our door. So what are they, <laughs> we, we don't have to talk about the investigation. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. That's a, yeah. This is this that's is not a uh, cannabis podcast. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, so I fell back into whiskey, and I did work at kind of the Jack Rose-esque equivalent of the West Coast. This place called Multnomah Whiskey Library, and it's a great place. They do things very well there, uh, super knowledgeable, but it's just very different and very formal. Um and very controlled because um, it's a member's place and they, it's also a place where people pay to get a reservation because it's a member's place and they also take walk-ins and so the walk-ins it's really hard for them to get in they'll sometimes wait a while and we'll, they'll call you you know you can like go away and they'll call you and say hey you have like 15 20 minutes to get back here um for your spot upstairs you know but um i learned at jack rose um if i can go on to this for a second that uh actually I think it's a combination of my traveling that I did for a while, which I don't know. Dylan knows quite a bit about that, probably. But I don't know if you do, Andy or Danielle. Uh, Everywhere. But um, yeah, including thing, places like um, Tunisia after the Jasmine Revolution, Iraq in 2013, and uh, you know Ukraine. Um, and I feel like combination of like that with working at Jack Rose, where literally I had no idea who was coming in. Like in the time that I worked there. 
the types of people that walked in ranges from, you know, families from Nashville, farmers from Northern Idaho, to King Abdullah II of Jordan and Kevin Durant. And, <laughs> together? Uh, not together. It's <laughs> a hell of a dinner. That would be a hell of a dinner for sure. Uh, but my point is just like, you never knew who was going to come in and it was walk-ins and it was open and it was welcome. And it had, you know, it's the most whiskey you will find anywhere in the Western Hemisphere. And I thought that, like, there I started to, I guess, kind of look at whiskey a little more philosophically, I guess, in a sense, if you will. Because, um, I don't know, I guess also in Kentucky, just, you know, we grew up around it. And so to me, it's really interesting that, you know, these labels that to us, you know, like Jim Beam and Elijah Craig, that stuff we've known, you know, those are companies that some of the first ones that we were able to identify as children right uh just because their advertisements were everywhere and like i used to go past the old abandoned evan williams um warehouses on 7th street on my way to school because i went to school in the west end in louisville from kindergarten to eighth grade uh and um they're uh i don't know i just feel like seeing working at jack rose and doing all those traveling all those places because at those places the one thing that was in common was everyone drank with, like not everywhere drink wine, not everywhere drink beer. But the one thing that everyone did drink everywhere was the local spirit, whatever it is, whether it's Rocky or Schnapps or you know what have you, and uh, whiskey. Everyone drank the local spirit in whiskey. And so to me, I started to view it as this very, I don't know, it's 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 almost like. Um, I guess I could put it this way too. It's the only thing that I have seen. It's the closest thing that I've seen to sports, uh, specifically, I guess, soccer, that seems to have got its tentacles spread everywhere. That if you can talk about whiskey for some reason, everybody from everywhere is interested in it. And because everywhere, everyone from everywhere drinks it. And I think that's part of what is my big appeal to it because I've always just been enamored with you know, people all over the world, like, hence why I went to places I mentioned earlier, because I feel like you're not ever told uh, really the full information about what's going on there. Because, you know, we hear a lot of doom and gloom about these places and about thousands of people dying. And yes, that's awful and terrible. Um, but there's also thousands of people dying here. Uh, and we don't hear about the other mi quite literally millions of people that live in these places. And so I just don't like it that I'm not being told the full story about people that are, you know, essentially getting paid a lot of money to not tell the whole story. And that drives me crazy. And that's why I went those places more or less. Interesting. That, so, so you just dropped some like philosophical knowledge on us about what makes whiskey so universal. Yeah, it's awesome. Sports uh, has always been like the, the deep one. Yeah. Is it any yeah. Anytime we ever have a conversation, like there's always something that Forrest will just bring up and you're just like, damn. Yeah, Never thought about it like that. Mm -hmm. You just got to sit there and think about it for a minute. So to, to yeah. push to push forward <laughs> with your your story here, the uh, your time spent was it the Manit? How do you, how do you say the the place in Portland? Uh, Multnomah Whiskey Multnomah Library. Whiskey Multnomah. Library. Yeah, Multnomah is the name of the county. That okay. Portland is. So you, you yeah. were there for a short stretch, and then not very long at all, like seven weeks. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because I've been in Portland less than four months still. Um, yeah, and still so I was there good. about seven weeks. And now you're, um, but, you're writing for the Whiskey Wash? So. Yes, writing for the Whiskey Wash. Um, I actually did, I actually kind of just dropped out of the sky for Whiskey Wash and 
uh, Multnomah Whiskey Library. Um, I kind of just popped into the Whiskey Library and then I just cold, essentially wrote a cover letter, I guess, to the Whiskey Watch Facebook and got a response back saying, send your resume to this email. And then ended up meeting up with them. And then I got a call back from Multnomah. And so that all happened really fast. We're like, and that made me, I think that might have been the first time we're like, oh, maybe there is something to this whiskey advisor from Jack Rose title. Like I always felt like I knew a lot, but that was the first time it really felt like that title had, you know, respect because I got me just instantly entrance from, you know, Whiskey Wash won the uh, 27 or 2016, 2017 International Whiskey Blog of the Year um, uh, award. And um, the, uh, <clears throat> oh, and then um, Multnomah Whiskey Library is just written about all the time. Although, you know, it's like, it's like Jack Rose people come in from uh, not quite all over the world because DC has better access to people from all over the world, but people definitely come from all over the place to be at Multnomah as yeah. well. I mean, that might be changing because Portland's like a, a hotbed right now. So, and... Yeah, they expect it to grow by 250,000 people within the next decade. Yeah, wow, that's, yeah, that. that's amazing. So so with Whiskey Watch, you know, what... Wash. Wash. Why did I say watch? Yeah, it, just, it sounds like Whiskey Watch. You can, like you can watch sense. for Forrest's new yeah. articles on <laughs> the Whiskey, whiskey Wash. Watch. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah. so, but with, with Whiskey Wash... So explain like what like what you're doing there and like where you where you want to take that. Uh, so I have three uh, reviews so far, and I try to make my reviews. I don't know. I guess I've always, just to be frank, I've always kind of hated reading reviews because I feel like they're usually boring and and it's good to get a general idea of what things taste like, but everyone's palate is still different, and so like it even though it says that it might not taste like that to you entirely and so i don't know i try to take a different approach and i'm sure there's a lot of other reviewers that do this too um but a lot of them don't and i try to make mine at least somewhat educational so like the very first one i did was on woodford reserve double double oaked um the kentucky only you know release um mostly at the gift shop at woodford and i made that about um, specifically, the, like the really intricate process of how that's aged, and also wrote a little bit about Kentucky culture in that one. And then the second one I wrote was this um, special release from Paul John Distillery in India, um, and uh, I wrote about the history of Goa and how it's uh, that's where it's located and how Goa's culture is very separate from the rest of India in the sense that it's actually currently fighting for special distinction under the Indian constitution. Um, and then it has a pretty good traction because it was actually ruled by Portugal for 451 years. Um, and I basically wrote about how that culture can somewhat, you know, be, you know, exemplified by that whiskey because the whiskey is really, really complex and, and bright and spicy and, um, so try to make it more like a history lesson, that one. I will and say then, that it's the only whiskey review I've ever read where I learned about Portuguese colonization in India. That was, <laughs> that was very interesting. <laughs> uh, well, I, was, I, was, I was a history major uh, in undergrad, and I had my two minors were essentially other versions of history, classics, and international studies. Um, and so um, total history nerd, totally geography nerd, um, I guess now a whiskey nerd. and. Um, the third one was um, on the Dalmore and the Dalmore, eight, the Dalmore 18 year, um, close though. Um, and 
that one's actually more about the way sherry is aged and how sherry is also like bourbon or champagne or scotch or cognac and that it's you know it's a protected denomination yeah yeah sherry can only come from certain places and has to be aged certain ways and you know, essentially, it's a very big, important, like, everyone who drinks whiskey knows about sherry, but very few people know about sherry. So, hmm. no, I don't know. I know, about that. I know absolutely nothing about sherry at all, so I'm definitely going to have to go and uh, check out your post. So, speaking of uh, sherry, what we're drinking right now, the Joseph Magnus, kind of comes back to that. Um, so, you also do some work with this distillery, right? Uh, yes, yes, this is, a uh, yeah, like you said, the, the part of the whiskey hustle, I like the way you uh, worded that earlier, um, which we haven't, we haven't even touched on all the ones I'm trying to do right now, but, uh, the other whiskey hustle is, um, one of the other ones is this Joseph Magnus Distillery, um, it's a distillery that used to be in Cincinnati pre-prohibition, actually, so not, not so far away, and it was one of the larger producers at one point, um, pre-prohibition, um, but, like, the many, you know, thousands of distilleries that happened, that most of them closed, um, you know, all except six, essentially. And um, it was dated 1892, this bottle that, um, that was found in an attic that was being cleaned out. And they're pretty sure it was the first bottle of Magnus made, and that's why it was kept. Um, and so they actually gathered uh, kind of a you know, reputable crowd in Louisville actually to taste it. They taste it and they love it. And so they decide that it's a distillery worth bringing back to life. And um, yeah, and so they are currently distilling in Washington, D.C. They moved it, you know, the distillery from uh, Cincinnati to D.C. And it's being distilled there. They actually distill a Navy strength gin that I actually like a lot. It's uh, it's 114 proof, um, kind of more on the funkier sides of gin, which is nice. Uh, and then uh, they also make a vodka, um, you know, because that's what a lot of the young distilleries do right now. They make gins and vodkas so they can get some revenue while their whiskey is aging. And they source uh, 11 and 10 and 11 year old whiskey uh, from MGP that then is finished in Pedro Jimenez and Oloroso sherry casks, um, and then cognac barrels as well. And the, the batch that's about to come out, actually, the, the next one in the next couple months or so, is actually, I've, I've been told, it's got majority uh, 12-year-old in it, but we're still going to say it's, it has no age statement in general, um, but it's still going to be told 10 and 11 year um, to most people, but um, my boss actually told me that it's majority 12-year. We're just not telling anybody that because um, it's not always going to be that. So Well, you just told all of our like 15 listeners yeah, the secret. Well, I told them that it's a one-time thing for now. So, <laughs> so what, what's your, you know, how'd you get connected with them and, and what are you, you kind of doing with them? Um, well, I, they actually sought me out. Um, um, it was kind of a roundabout way. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, just, I guess, having your position and then people knowing people because so this um level three i think she's i believe she's a level three she was the level three som who is a sommelier who is working at uh jack rose and now she actually works at this place called tail up goat which if you'll ever go to dc you have to go there they have a restaurant there it's a michelin place but it's like a neighborhood spot though it's not 
expensive or pretentious really at all. Uh, and um, she uh, works there now, but so at the time, um, she was working with me and her boyfriend uh, was a bartender at this place called Columbia Room, um, which last year won um, best bar in America at the Spirited Awards in New Orleans. And uh, he was a bartender there. And he worked with this guy, Jake, who was a bartender there. And he was a brand ambassador for Joseph Magnus. And they were looking to expand. And they're actually going to be bringing on new states and things, including Kentucky. They're about to launch to Kentucky for the first time. And um, so they asked um, through that roundabout way, like Jake asked on, um, Dante and Dante asked Zoe. And Zoe asked me if I would be interested in going to um, work for Joseph Magnus. And I told him I would you know, be interested in talking with him for sure because I was, you know, thought brand ambassador on the side sounded like something that could be fun and you know learn some more things learn a new angle on the industry and um yeah met with uh jake a couple times and then ended up working with them and actually thought i was gonna have to quit before too long because um shortly after so i accepted the job with you know in like late august i think um and had no idea that i was Going to be moving to Oregon at that point. My first day at work in Oregon was November 18th, and this is you know end of August, and I sat on there. And then like September 10th, they fly me to Louisville to do their very first trade show in Kentucky. And I, uh, while I was there, actually, I think is when I talked to my roommate Zach, uh, and we talked about Oregon. And so while I'm on this trip in Kentucky for this company that just hired me. I kind of make this decision that I'm moving to Oregon. <laughs> so the first event that you work, you're like, well, I'm, I'm gone. I'm out. Yeah, and I kind of felt bad. <laughs> but I've been, you know, like, well, I've been wanting to move west for a long time, because ever since I left Germany, where I lived in this little village um, in the mountains, um, I just miss living in the mountains. And so I just wanted to be closer to, you know, some snow-capped peaks. And... Um, so this just seemed like, you know, an opportunity and it was with someone I'd known for, you know, almost 20 years. And so I decided I would make the move and I actually felt really bad telling my boss. Uh, but she was so happy with what I had done just in my um, New York or just in my trip to Kentucky. And then the like two weeks that I had gotten work done in D.C., I guess like that was, even though it was a really small sample size, she was happy enough with what I had done at that point that she said, well, actually, we are expanding to Oregon and Washington like next month. Would you just want to do the same thing for us out there? And I know you're not moving out there for us, so you can just kind of work for us as you feel and have the time and just give us updates and we'll just see how it goes. And I was like, uh, I feel like it's almost something you can't say no to, right? So uh, yeah, they give you, like, yeah, they give you free yeah, right. reign to work when you want yeah. and yeah. Uh, do whatever else. Yeah, you know, no brainer. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, no brainer. Yeah, and so um, I'd say I've only actually done stuff for them right now, like every other month uh, so far. But part of that is because they've been having we're switching distributors, and it's been a thing. But uh, that's uh, should change shortly, and I'll actually be. At more actively going for some Magnus, but I've been definitely getting them some more exposure out here. Uh, but yeah, it was really, it felt really good, I guess. I'll just be honest, it felt really good when they're like, actually, would you just want to stay on and do the same thing? It's like, this is rad. That's so, awesome. Uh, That's amazing. Uh, so um, yeah, 
I, I work for them just kind of, you know, helping with the brand. I do tastings. I do, um, you know, if the place decides to pick it up, I'll train their staff on the spirit. So where they feel more confident on selling it. Um, I'll see if a place is willing and interested in having an event there. Um, and then I'll do, you know, an event at like a hotel or a liquor store or something. Yeah. Sounds nice. a little bit like what we're uh, kind of doing at Sour Mash here. What we're trying to do at least. Yeah, yeah. What we're trying to do. So I was able to get this pretty easily in Louisville. I walked to a liquor store around the corner from my office and they definitely had it. Um, and Forrest actually kind of blew my mind today. He cleared up a misconception that I've helped perpetuate. Um, <laughs> I would like to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. alluded to it earlier. So I asked Forrest a question, and on the front of this label, it says Joseph Magnus Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And there's a tag that talks about the awards that it's won, including a double gold medal at the New York Spirits Competition in 2016 for Best Straight Bourbon Whiskey. So my yep. question was, this is finished in three types of barrels, mm -hmm. doesn't that make it technically not bourbon? Yeah. And Forrest answers was, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's, not, that's not how I word it. But, it's like, I don't really uh, want to do the call yeah, anymore. Yeah, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, well, actually, no, what I thought was, my initial thought, and this is true, um, was that good for you for knowing that straight bourbon whiskey is a you know, a legal label term. Um, that was honestly my first thought. I was like, well, that, at least you know that. That's rad. A lot of people don't know. Um, and um, so the reason Joseph Magnus can say that it is straight bourbon whiskey, even though it's, um, you know, finished in three types of barrel that aren't, you know, new charred oak, uh, is because <clears throat> there's no, in the standards of identity for bourbon, there is nothing that says after it's aged in virgin oak that um you know virgin chard oak that it can't uh be moved into another type of barrel there's there's no law that says it can't be so therefore you can't right and so i'd always that. just <laughs> and that's that so i'd always yeah. assume that you know angel's envy it goes into port barrels and on the front of the label it says kentucky straight bourbon whiskey Finished, finished in port wine barrels um mm -hmm. i had always assumed that it was no longer technically bourbon but i trusted forrest but i also verified i went and <laughs> i read the law myself and sure enough you know it says that it has to be aged in the virgin oak to be straight bourbon it has to be aged in there for at least two years but then after those two years it doesn't say anything the only area that i thought maybe this is kind of an argument was the non you can't flavors. add flavor yeah so yeah and then yep. I, so and i said I get, forest into that with you could i <laughs> argue that you're adding flavor by putting it in sherry casks and forest said you're an idiot <laughs> <laughs> well when i that that time i was uh this, this time i said something more along the lines of um how did i word it i think i said that to me if someone asked me that questions, it would just meant that they didn't understand the technicalities of the law. Uh, because, um, and I use an example would be, um, in Angel's Envy, the one you used, that's a great example. So that one says straight bourbon whiskey. Uh, but there's this release that is this, um, it's, I don't know if it's called Wild Turkey Sherry. I don't think it is. Uh, I can't remember that. I can't remember the full name of it. I only tasted it once. It was really never sold, but it was in the Jack Rose collection under American Whiskeys. Um, but the reason, so add flavorings, that means like you actively are 
adding to it yourself. There's kind of an accepted loophole within the whiskey industry um, that liquids that the barrel has absorbed is a you know natural because of the expansion and contraction of the barrel um, and no human themselves actually you know added anything into it um, you might have placed the new whiskey or you know the whiskey into this sherry cast to age but you didn't add sherry yourself to it the the experience the expansion and the contraction of the barrel added the right, you know whiskey right. to it. So Basil Hayden put out something recently called like dark rye, added the sherry. I guess, and they actually added um, something else into it. They added port or sherry into the rye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and see, like that added, so they couldn't call that straight rye um, because you know it's a no added term, um, and the uh, the. I think an example I gave you on the other end, like there's Angel's Envy, which is a straight bourbon, but then there's a wild turkey that is not, that was bourbon, and they only sell it abroad, or at least they used to, at least, I don't even, I don't know anymore, but um, they poured actual sherry into the whiskey, um, and they, you know, so they couldn't call that bourbon anymore, because they, they themselves poured sherry into it, but with um, Angel's Envy, you know, they just poured whiskey into a port uh, cask, so they didn't add anything to it themselves. They just finished it. It's a, it's a you know, it's a, an understanding of the technical terms um, that may, that is the difference. Well, we have to uh, stop here, lying also. to people on tours then. Yeah, if you've taken a tour with Sour Mash for the past uh, year, year and a half. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. I apologize. Yeah. I've given no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> like, like I said, and I'll say it's really like ninety. I would. I don't even feel like I'm highballing here. I feel like it's ninety-eight percent of the industry doesn't have a full working understanding of all these stuff. I would agree. Because um, because it is hard. I mean, you really have to like get to know the nuances of it. Um, it does take some time. Um, I read a quote from Chris Morris, the master distiller of Brown Foreman, and he Woodford. said as much. What's that? It's Woodford, technically. Well, it's both, right? I mean, it is Brown Forma, but it's Woodford Preserve that he's the master okay. distiller of. Okay. After, True. You know. But True. He, he said, his quote agreed as much, and he, he thought that uh, finishing a bourbon made it no longer bourbon. So the misconception might go all the way to the top. And that might be like well, just and, jealousy. And that's of his personal. Yeah. Maybe that's just yeah, that's yeah, what his... he feels in his heart, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and the, yeah, that, the, yeah. Danielle's exactly right. That's what he, Chris Morris, feels in his heart as a traditional purist. Thank you. And and I, you know, and that's fine. And people can feel that way. And I hope there's always some people that feel that way. Just so you know, there's a you know, there's always that Kentucky person that's elderly going, things should be the way forever. I don't know. <laughs> like, anyway. Resisting uh, change, huh? Yeah, yeah, um, just like actually, you know, I mean that, you know, with a, a loving sarcasm. No, uh, yeah, and, totally. And um, there's a, um, I don't know. I feel like one of the things that um, I don't know. I guess I'll word it this way because I don't really know how to articulate it the best. But I'll say this I'll just put this example. Um, so in my personal collection of whiskey, I actually have more scotches than I do bourbons. Or I would prefer bourbon over scotch, but I want I think I'm pickier about my bourbon, and I think that has to do with, you know, because the laws controlling bourbon are so stringent and it's so 
based around the barrel that, um, you know, without trying to offend anyone, you know, a lot of them taste similar. You know, it's all about the mash bill. Um, and, and it's definitely my favorite whiskey, you know, Kentucky and true and true that way. Uh, but what I do like about Scotch is they don't have um, the same laws governing the barrels, really, other than it has to be at least three years old. And so you get all these varieties of flavors. Um, and it, I, I love how grains in general can be uh, manipulated. And I think as the whiskey uh, boom continues, um, another fun fact here for you is uh, around Prohibition, um, or the height before Prohibition at least, there were, I believe it was around 8,000 distilleries in operation in the United States. And, and a lot of, obviously a lot of them were much smaller capacity, um, but today there's a lot more people. And we also just crossed 1,000 distilleries, I believe it was like three years ago or something like that. So in theory, the alcohol industry is still recovering from Prohibition. And so I think if bourbon wants to long-term as that recovers and people's palates expand and they gain better understanding and people gain more knowledge that if bourbon really wants to um, still become, you know, like a worldwide interest and not fade into a niche, I think at least that it needs to have um, these experiment, these, all the experimenting that's being done right now needs to happen uh, with it uh, because you're, I don't know, it, you know, you're going to end up attracting, I guess, more uh, people to it because it'll just have more interest. And everyone is still always going to have their pure, you know, straight bourbon, whiskey, virgin oak only. That's, I feel like, probably always going to be people's flagships. And, um, you know, but I think it's fun and good to, you know, expand the industry. Um, I don't think there's anything uh, wrong with it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Purists are you know, entitled to uh, their opinion and, and I'm glad they're around um, as well to keep people in check. Uh, but uh, I do not personally hold that opinion. I agree. And this Magnus is a good example of that. The stuff is, is absolutely delicious. I'm glad you there turned you me go. on to it. Um, so before you wrap like up and, and we are running out of time, we need to, we, we, this is already by far our longest podcast and with good reason because yeah. Forrest is incredibly interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was, Thanks, I thought it was interesting that this, in the history of the Magnus, they realized that even over a hundred years ago, um, the original distiller finished this in sherry casks. So I always think of finished bourbons as something new, new and this was, yeah. they were doing this in the 1800s. So um, and now they're bringing it back, which is awesome for everybody because we get to taste some good stuff. Yeah, well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you all like it. Yeah, we definitely do, man. And you have been a uh, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I definitely think that our our 15 listeners out there are going to learn a whole lot about uh, about whiskey in general. Yeah. Um, it was it was good catching up. You know, just considering that we haven't we haven't caught up in a while, so. Um, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time out to talk to us. Now, um, if somebody wanted to find your reviews or anything like that online, where would they need to go look? Uh, they would need to go to thewhiskeywash.com. And so it's wash, like wash your clothes. And so uh, thewhiskeywash.com. Uh, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, and then you can search, I believe you can search my name. You can. Yeah, actually, you can yeah. We have done Yeah, that. and you can. All right, cool. Yeah, Brad. Um, yeah, and th thanks for having me on. Um, 
if you all, you know, ever want to just outside of this, um, ask me whiskey questions, I feel like we, uh, we only just got started. I feel like we were only getting warmed up really when it comes to all there really is out there. Like we didn't even get touch the misconceptions surrounding bourbon at all, other than the one. And there's, there's tons of them. We'll tons. save that like for a future it. podcast. I, like I also want to talk to you about uh, vintage bourbon on the next podcast as well. So we'll, we'll definitely have you back on. Um, we really appreciate you taking time out of your, your Tuesday afternoon in Portland. Um, it's our evening here, yeah. so you still have your whole night ahead of you, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, that's one of the things I think I've grown to like about the West Coast is uh, everything's a little bit behind. Like when I when I wake up here, I'm like, and it's like, oh, I'm awake. But then my next thought is, what? everyone out east is already at work. What did I miss? All right, man. Well, we're gonna sign off here. Um, thanks again. Forrest, and we will talk to you soon. All right. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, great talking to you all. Bye. All right. See you, man. All right. So that was our uh, good friend, Forrest Price. Um, again, we are the uh, Sour Mash Tours group, and this is the Sour Mash Podcast. You can check us out at www.sourmashtours.com and on social media at Sour Mash Tours. We hope you guys enjoyed and uh, we'll see you next time.